This morning for our reading of Scripture, we turn to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. It's really hard to find a sort of theme in the various chapters of Proverbs. Um, they don't always seem to be organized, just a collection of Proverbs, but this chapter was selected because of the number of Proverbs that refer to the deceit and lies of the mouth, sins of the mouth, and blessings of the mouth. So you can look for those Proverbs especially. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof, notice reproof and instruction would come through the mouth. He that hateth reproof is brutish. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. A man shall not be established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous shall not be moved. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. The words of the wicked are to lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver them. The wicked are overthrown and are not, but the house of the righteous shall stand. A man shall be commended according to his wisdom, but he that is of a perverse heart shall be despised. He that is despised and hath a servant is better than he that honoreth himself and lacketh bread. A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. He that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread, but he that followeth vain persons is void of understanding. The wicked desireth the net of evil men, but the root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands shall be rendered unto him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness deceit. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. There shall no evil happen to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief. Lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. 
A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. We read that far in God's holy word and consider this morning, Lord's Day 43. What is required in the ninth commandment? That I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's words. That I be no bite, backbiter nor slanderer, that I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard, but that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judgment and all other dealings I love the truth, speak it uprightly, and confess it. Also, that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the heart of this Ninth Commandment is really indicated in the Heidelberg Catechism by that phrase that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil. That makes clear that the commandment at its heart concerns all sorts of lies and deceit. So that positively it concerns the truth and confession of the truth. It also makes clear that typically this commandment concerns behavior of the words and uh, of the mouth. And yet also not exclusively. All sorts makes clear that as the Catechism goes on to explain, this commandment also concerns judgments and all sorts of dealings. That is, it concerns the opinions that we form in our mind and our heart and the manner in which we interact with someone even though we might not use our mouth. When it refers to all sorts of lies and deceits, it also makes clear that this concerns also the honor and good character of our neighbor. It treats, in other words, the reason why we often lie and slander and form false judgments. That phrase, all sorts of lies and deceits is the proper works of the devil, also indicates the basis for the commandment. On the one hand, the basis for the commandment is that all sorts of lies and deceits belong to the character of the devil. They have their origins in the devil. And the devil uses them to accomplish his own purposes. He, as it were, seizes control of our heart and mind and our mouth to accomplish his work, which is always to murder, to murder and 
to divide. That's why the commandment concerns the honor and good character of the neighbor. On the other hand, the basis for the commandment is the truth. The truth about God and the truth about the neighbor. The truth about God in himself and his dealings with us. Then finally, as we consider the commandment, we should keep in mind the reality that we are all liars, that the Bible's condemnation of man, including us, is that all men are liars. And so we are prone to all sorts of hypocrisy when it comes to this commandment. It is not unusual, for example, that a consistory might take considerable time and effort for example, to arm certain members of the congregation and prepare them for the unlikely, eventual, possible scenario where a gunman breaks into the building during worship and starts to shoot to protect the congregation from that. But the same consistory might turn easily a blind eye to actual murder that's going on by lies and slanders and gossip in the congregation without hardly a thought. Or it might be, and has happened, where members of the congregation very, very concerned about the truth as it's spoken in the preaching of the gospel, then go on to slander and gossip and backbite with regard to others in the congregation. We ourselves easily fall into the same sins. Consider with me avoiding all sorts of lies and deceit, and we consider the commandment, the basis, and then the blessing. The commandment. We, of course, are going to consider the commandment positively and negatively, and as mentioned, Consider also especially that this is the commandment that addresses the behavior that usually is accomplished with the tongue and the lips and the mouth. The Scripture has many, many names for the same sins. And as mentioned to you before, when the Scripture uses many names for something, the same thing, the idea is that so broad is both the sin and its destruction that no one name really captures it. Even in the proverb that we read, the Proverbs, the chapter there, many, many names were used for the same Thing. And so Scripture refers to what's addressed here in the commandment as evil speaking or foolish speaking, corrupt communication, meddling, deceitful lips, tail-bearing, kindling strife with burning lips, dissembling, slander, gossip, and backbiting. At the same time, we ought to realize also 
that although these sins are mainly carried out with our mouth and our lips and our tongue, that they proceed from a corrupt and evil heart. They proceed from the inside of us, so that the commandment, therefore, must also address judgments and thoughts in the heart and in the soul. And also, by implication, then, refers to other various ways we can be involved in lies and deceit. Therefore, it speaks of all sorts of, not just simply all sorts of lies and deceit committed with the mouth and the lips, but also in other ways. One can engage in lies and deceit with the pen and with ink and paper. And most frequently today, it is often done anonymously with a computer keyboard and social media and has become even more frequent because it is more easily done without one's name being known while blabbing all over what you have to say about someone else. It's also important to know that at the heart of the commandment, it deals with communication in all its various forms as it relates to the neighbor. It is true, and we would do injustice to the commandment if we would not acknowledge that the commandment does speak about simply speaking truth. And, of course, it would be a lie to, for example, say that something is not true even though it is. It is a lie to say that two plus two equals five. It is a lie to present the reality of this universe in a way that is not accurate. And yet we ought to remember that the commandment is concerned with lies basically as they relate to others. The seriousness of teaching, say, two plus two equals five, is in what it does to others and how it might mislead others. And we should do justice to that, that it is a lie simply to misrepresent facts, even though those facts may not seem to be related to anyone at all. In fact, if you dig deeper, you will discover that generally, if we would even speak a lie with regard to facts, we do so with a purpose, and the purpose always relates to someone else, whether it's a person, persons, or even God himself. The fact that the, con the concern of the commandment is related to others ought to be evident in that it's in the second table of the law, and the specific sorts of lies and deceits that it mentions. For example, gossip. Now, gossip is an especially wicked form 
of lies and deceits because it is disguised as truth. It uses truth. It speaks truth in certain forms. The truth may be used as an opening to spread the lie. And that it involves lies is evident from the fact that it's intended to harm and hurt the neighbor, to murder someone else. It is to speak the truth, but not the whole truth. To speak the truth when that truth ought to be kept private, for example. To speak the truth, but then impugn motives. Or to speak the truth not in love, but out of a Phariseeistic self-righteousness, as if I would not do that. It mentions slander. Slander is closely related. It is related to gossip. And again, often uses truth. The difference, often, is that it more deliberately is intended to hurt and to harm. Someone slanders knowing full well they're speaking about someone else, and whatever they have to say, they're saying in order to damage them. It is significant that long before Eve fell, which we often associate with eating the forbidden fruit, she indicated she had already fallen when she slandered God. She slandered God when she responded to the devil that God told them they couldn't even touch the tree. The first sin really was slander. Significant that Jesus himself was slandered. The Jews slandered Jesus throughout his ministry, tried to discredit his cause and discredit his message by slandering him as one who overthrew the law and one who dined with sinners. The Jews slandered Paul by spreading the false message that he taught, let us sin, that grace may abound. Furthermore, the commandment, the explanation of the commandment lumps both gossip and slander as forms of backbiting. It does that to make clear that both of these sorts of lies and deceit, gossip and slander, injure another and are intended to injure. The gossip and the backbiter often will preface what they have to say with such words as, I'm only telling the truth, or this is not to be spread to others, or I'm only doing this with good intentions and all sorts of lies. But the real issue and what the real intent is made plain when the Scriptures call it really backbiting.
backbiting. That is, that what someone is doing is really cowardice. If one really has something to say that needs to be said, and one is really of good intentions, and one is really honest about what they are doing, then the first thing they always must do is speak to the person face to face. What they have to say must be said to the person about whom they are going to speak. And they speak to them from the front, mouth to mouth, face to face. But they're cowards. They're cowards who are living in the lie of the devil. And so they ambush and they attack from the back. It makes clear that what they're doing is meant to injure and harm and really is a form of murder. Oh, it may seem like I'm only sinking my teeth into someone, but we all know what it takes to sink your teeth into someone. You are attacking them. You are attacking them viciously. And you mean to harm and wound them. And behind it all is real hatred in your heart. The commandment forbids all sorts of harmful communication about the neighbor, whether we conduct it in private or public, whether it's under oath, or whether we do it anonymously. An especially egregious form of violation of this commandment is that we would lie under oath. It is amazing that this was done so frequently in the Old Testament and even continues to our day such that people don't even know whether they can trust an oath or not. A man vows a vow to love his wife till death do us part. And then he lies. He shows he's lied by divorcing his wife and finding another. And then the church covers it up by calling it truth. It is not. It is a lie. These are the lies no different really than what Jezebel had two men do with regard to Naboth, by which lies under oath he was stoned to death a woman who had no regard for the law of God except being able to cite it when it accomplished the purpose of stealing a man's inheritance. We need to be reminded that when we are put under oath how serious it is to break our oath. Oh, perhaps one is not punished and dealt with as they ought to be in this life, although often they can be. Jezebel thought that she was getting away with it, but God sent the prophet and reminded her that in the near future her blood and bones would be splattered over the palace walls from which she commanded that evil deed to be done, and that the blood of her husband would coat the very ground of Naboth's vineyard in death one day, which is exactly what happened, making clear that God saw 
that injustice and did something about it. Having said these things, we should also remember the commandment is mainly positive at its heart. In judgment and in all other dealings, I love the truth. I speak it uprightly and confess it. Also that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. If we could only remember, beloved, to tell the truth more. It's one thing to do what we do with others in slander and gossip and backbiting, but it often shows all by itself how little we actually tell the truth and how little we actually love the truth. I think you, like myself, could endure a little slander and a little gossip and a little backbiting if, on the other hand, there were those, perhaps the same who would slander and gossip, that would have a kind word or a good word or a complimentary word. But not only do we like to engage in slander and gossip and backbiting, but we utterly fail to speak good of one another. We have to try that sometime. The next time we get our dander up about someone and feel the urge in our heart to quick run out and let somebody else know what we have learned about what somebody else did in the coffee shop or with our texting machine, speak good. Is there no good that we can speak? Is there no good in the church? Is there no good in people? And then before we object to that, ask ourselves about ourselves. Are we blind to our own sins? Are we blind to our own lies and deceit? That's what we are when we go around talking about everybody else. That's an indication that I really don't see anything wrong in myself. I don't see the lies and deceit in my own heart. I just see them in everyone else. And because I only see the lies and deceit in everyone else, see the lies and deceit in the consistory, or in the church, or in my husband, or in this realm or that realm, I can't see any good either. And then say, is that how I would like people to view me? Or even, is that how God views me? Do I want people to deal with me strictly as the liar that I am, if we're honest with ourselves? Because remember, truth-telling and truth-speaking begins with myself. What is God's Word about myself? What is the testimony of God in my own conscience? Is it that of the Bible? that I'm a liar too, that I in my own heart lie about myself. I'm not honest in my own self-assessment, and I'm not honest in my assessment 
of what God says about me, both the good and the evil, with regard to his salvation as well as my natural condemnation. And that ultimately explains why, why I utterly fail to see the good. And let's remember that we're talking especially about the realm of the church, which means there ought to be good. Good because God is there. Good because God is working there. But oh, so easy is it for us just to focus on the evil and the wickedness. And pretty soon we imagine that it ought not be there, which really is a condemnation of myself. It always reflects a self-righteousness that I'm the only perfect truth-teller. I, only I am left. And next thing you know, one is down in the pits of despair, even running away from the church like the good old prophet Elijah. God does good to us, and He works good, rather than simply point out the evil. And let's be honest there too. How often even when we point out the evil in our own family or children, and it's true what we have to say, that we completely omit everything else. Maybe we even mention it to hurt and harm our own children and fool ourselves into thinking we're doing it for their good. We don't compliment each other as we ought. We don't have nice things to say as we ought, like if we would happen to say something nice, it's going to lift them up with pride and destroy them. None of these things are true. It could possibly happen in the wicked and ungodly, but in the church, it oughtn't. Even in our judgments, even in our judgments, we're not to judge rashly or unheard, but judge based on facts and truth. And that's the whole truth. And again, I point out that we don't like to consider all the truth or the whole truth, even about one another. And sad to say, much of it is the very truth about God and what God has done and God has wrought in about who and what we are, people with both an old and a new man. I want to next move on to the basis for the commandment, and that ought to be obvious to us. Negatively, the commandment rests on the reality that all sorts of lies and deceits, that is, all lies and deceits, in whatever form, committed however they are, and the intentions and motives of the heart, as well as the damage it causes, are all the proper works of the devil. That is, the characteristic works of the devil. This again comes from Scripture. Lies and deceit don't come from God. When there's lies and deceit, when there's slander and gossip and backbiting, this is not out of the sanctified heart and judgment of God. We present it often that way, but we need if we're going to take this seriously, realize that it needs to be traced back to the devil who is oh so subtle. And it's reminding us that he's the father of the lie. And really all he ever does is lie. Lie, lie, lie. And when we lie, 
and we can't tell the truth, and we judge rashly and unheard, when we destroy with our teeth, sinking them into the back, when we can't say a good thing, when we don't protect the honor and good character of our neighbor, we are functioning as instruments of the devil. Think of that. That's why Jesus could turn to his beloved apostle Peter, one of the foundations of the church, and say, get behind me, Satan. He saw, he saw that the words that Peter was saying, which we would overlook, Peter is only expressing his great love for Jesus, and he wants Jesus to remain, not go to the cross. Jesus saw the devil speaking. When we sit across the table from one another, and our conversation is, I've got to tell you something. Do we look at one another across the table and say, I see the devil? Do we get up and say, I can't have anything to do with this? Do we realize that gossip and slander works not just from the broadcast side of things, the mouth that speaks, but the mouth has to have a receiver, somebody who receives, somebody who listens. Have we ever asked ourselves why certain individuals want to talk to us? Often it's because we've been a ready receiver of their previous lies and slander and gossip. We've joined in, and the devil knows how to work. We need to be aware and understand who we're working for and who we speak for when we engage in all sorts of lies and deceit. And we need to realize that he spreads his lies in order to murder. He's also the original murderer. He told lies to Eve and invoked slander of God from her lips because he knew it would bring her to hell. All the misery of the human race goes back to that lie. And a lie then that was repeated. We've all been brought to the grave. If you think this isn't serious, that's our problem. We don't trace these things back to the devil. On the positive side of things, it has to do with God. God is truth, and God lives a life of truth. And God speaks only the truth, never a lie, never once. And think about the truth then that he brings. Think about how God brings that truth. And let's just focus on how he does that. God speaks the truth even to the wicked and ungodly. He gives a testimony of himself in all of the creation. It's there for all to see. And the very wickedness of man, according to Romans 1, is he sees it. He sees it. He sees that testimony, that truth of God, and immediately turns it into a lie. God didn't make this. God didn't do that. God isn't good. God isn't wise. Tools of the devil. Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that he made it this way? Did God say that this is the way sin came into the world? In vast swaths of the church, Believe the lie. Yeah, it didn't happen that way as God said in His Word. Yeah, that testimony of God, the fact that there's a God and God is righteous and holy, 
you may safely ignore that. It's not real. It's a figment of your imagination. God didn't make marriage. Marriage isn't His ordinance. There's no God who says marriage is for life between one man and one woman. None of it's true. No, God is truth. And then let's just simply look at how He treats us. God tells the truth about us. God's Word comes to us and says, you're all liars, every single one of you. Your minister is a liar. You realize that? That's the thing that astounds me. God uses a liar to bring you the truth. And then a bunch of liars sit in the pew and have to receive it as truth. But let's not overlook that God tells us the truth about who we are. And let's notice, too, that because we're God's children, we're His, He's chosen us in eternity in Christ, in His love and in His grace, He speaks that truth even in a, in a truthful manner, a right way. God doesn't come and say to us, that's all you are, that's all you shall ever be. Did God send the prophets only with the word that you're all a bunch of liars and adulterers and idolaters? That's all you are. Nope, in every single prophecy where God tells the people, condemns who they are in themselves, comes also with the gracious truth of himself. But I'm the God who loves you. And I'm the God who's given myself for you bunch of liars and adulterers and idolaters. That's how God speaks to us. God doesn't even broadcast our sins all over the place. It's not usual in the church where sin has to be made public or names made public. Well, we look at how God deals with us. And then God says, now you go live that way with one another. And that's why, too, when we deal with one another the way we do, it can so often be a betrayal of God, can it not? Here we supposedly delight in God who has dealt so gracious with me. He's been honest about who I am. He convicts me in my own soul and He leads me to Jesus Christ where there is forgiveness. And then I look at all that God has covered and hid and how God speaks to me and deals with me. And then I go out and I grab my neighbor by the throat and say, pay me what you owe me. Give me that penny. You liar. You adulterer. You, I'm going to tell everybody about you. I'm going to expose you. I'm going to make sure everybody knows your name, what you've done, what you've said. But we don't want God to deal with us that way. You see, that's the basis for the commandment. And it's not just who God is in the world as He is in Himself, but God who, is he, who he is in Jesus Christ and how He deals with me. That's at stake. And even then, we, we, need, we need to reckon with how often we lie about God. It really is amazing how our default position is that God is a bitter, angry God who only wants to destroy. He wants to destroy me. He wants to destroy you. A God only of judgment and wrath. Well, God is that. We lie about that too. God is only love, they say. God overlooks that sin when in fact the sin 
is not confessed or repented of, not even acknowledged. That's not true. But when we lie and we live a life of lies and deceit, we are impugning that God. We're betraying our own salvation and our own deliverance. And it's often why when we live that life, our life is so distant from God. We hardly know who He is. The blessing, the blessing of living a life avoiding all sorts of lies and deceit ought to be obvious and evident. It ought to be as clear as a nose on our face. Number one, think about what a life of lies and deceits results in, and results in exactly because of who God is. God doesn't tolerate it. God doesn't keep his mouth shut about it. But God judges it. And now God judges it in the very way that the devil, who is the father of the lie, intends these lies to have their effect. He gives people over to them, and the result of them is always the same. Schism, division, separation, war, murder. That's what he intends. And when we live a life of lies and deceit, that's always the result. And that doesn't matter whether that's a nation. Nations have ended up in wars that have killed millions of people because of lies and deceit. Because of lies and deceit. That's God's judgment. That's God's judgment. And it can happen in a church. A church is filled with all sorts of division and rancor and schism and hurt people because it's a church that's filled with lies and deceit. And it's even done under the guise of truth. It can happen that a church says this is what we stand for. We stand for the truth. And in the process, spreads all sorts of lies and slander and gossip and deceit about those who are supposedly not telling the truth. And the result is they themselves are destroyed. Well, if that's the case, then the Lord makes clear the way of blessing, the way of truth-telling, the way of honoring the neighbor and promoting his honor and character and defending as much as we are able. Can't always do that. Sometimes we have to make public things. Sometimes we have to do what we have to do. But that way is the way of peace. Shouldn't it be obvious? Shouldn't that be obvious with regard to us? That the way of believing God, believing His truth as truth, receiving it even when it hurts and is painful, is the way that God brings me to peace. He directs me to the cross of Jesus Christ, and there I find peace. Because I'm at peace with God, I don't have to lie about Him. I can receive His word that I'm a damn-worthy sinner without getting offended, without minimizing my sin or trying to justify my sin. When even someone comes to me face to face, rather than attack me from the back, but comes to my face and says, you've, you've done this evil or this sin, I can say, you're right. Yes, and I'm ashamed of that, and I'm sorry for that. And I, I pray that you will forgive me, and I vow not to live in that sin. Turn from it. God brings peace to the congregation. The great threat to a congregation is an armed terrorist 
and a hater of God's word breaking into the worship services with an automatic rifle. The great danger in the church is all the wagging tongues and the gossip and the backbiting and the slander and all the writing on social media. That's the great danger to the church. The great danger to the church isn't from things out there coming in here, but it's the great things in here that come out in here. And that's God's warning to us. And it's not arbitrary. It's not something that just is made up, that God just lays upon us. But it has to do with God and who He is and who we are before God. It has to do with our Lord Jesus Christ who suffered for liars and slanderers like us. So, beloved, live. Live by the power of the Spirit, promoting the truth, not just in word, not just doctrinally, but practically in our life. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our God and Father, forgive our sins and iniquities. Continue to live in us by Thy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, that we may more and more as a congregation live in truth one with another, that we may hate all sorts of lies and deceit and find peace and joy not only in our heart but in the congregation of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.